When we turn to the Word of God as it's recorded for us in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, and commencing at verse 13, you'll find this on page 983 of the Pew Bibles. Matthew 16:13. We hear the Word of the Living God. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. And we pray God's blessing upon the reading of his word. It's a great pleasure and privilege for me to be here this morning. I uh, want to say a a great thank you for the invitation to be here today. I don't take invitations such as this for granted by any means, so thank you very much indeed. It's not the first time I've spoken in this church. Uh, I spoke at a missionary conference here once. In fact, I was the keynote speaker a point that the organisers had failed to uh, point out to me. (laughs) So I was sitting over there in blissful ignorance, and then I was called forward to preach. It was all quite alarming. But at least I'm a bit better prepared today. Let's see if we can get the the PowerPoint going. I've come to really speak a little bit today about Mission Africa, uh, which is the mission agency that the Beatties are with. And I should just say that we are very glad to have them because they're wonderful folks. And I also just want to, before I say another word, emphasize our thanks to Windsor Baptist Church. Uh, Those who know me know that I do not engage in idle flattery. So let me say with all sincerity, 
our very great thanks to Windsor Baptist Church for the degree of financial and pastoral support that you give to our missionaries here. It really is exemplary. And like I said, I don't engage in idle flattery. I would say without any question, uh, Windsor Baptist is one of the very finest churches in this regard in my experience. Now, that's not to encourage you to become complacent, but really thank you very much for being such a wonderful support to the mission and to our missionaries. Let me tell you something about Mission Africa. The mission was founded 121 years ago, and it was founded here in Belfast. Uh, a man said to me quite recently, you're, you're some kind of American outfit, aren't you? And I said, well, by no means. Uh, we are Belfast through and through, founded back in 1887 by Samuel Bill. And Samuel Bill, don't get angry, was a Presbyterian, and uh, he, was, he was saved under the preaching of Moody and Sankey. I'm sure you've all sung at some point from Moody and Sankey's hymn book, way back in 1887, or 1874, I should say. But uh, in 1887, uh, he felt the call of God upon his life to go into mission work. He trained briefly in London, and it was there that he received the, the call of God uh, from the, the people of Ebono in southern Nigeria. And he, he went forth really without anybody backing him up, um, he was hoping when he got there, one of the mission agencies would take him on, but no one had any room for him. So he just had to start the work himself. And then slowly a mission formed behind him here in Belfast. The mission in those days was known as the Kwai Ebo Mission, or later the Kwai Ebo Fellowship. And uh, some years ago, about five years ago, we changed our name to Mission Africa. Sometimes people say to me, why did you do that? Uh, has your ethos changed? And the answer to that would be a definite no. The, the name changed because the, the name was no longer really appropriate. It was a Nigerian name, and we're not just limited to Nigeria, as you'll see in some of the later slides. But also the name confused people here uh, in Britain. Uh, I remember not so long ago I was announced as the man from the queer oboe. And... <laughs> There's just nothing good about that, really. So, Mission Africa does what it says on the tin. But certainly our ethos has not changed. Uh, from the very moment of its inception, this, this mission has sought to proclaim Christ crucified. You notice in the passage that we read today, which I think is an appropriate passage uh, in the, the, the light of the fact we've sat around the Lord's table, uh, Peter initially is commended by Christ for having rightly discerned that he is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. But very soon that commendation turns to rebuke because Peter fails to understand what is required. He doesn't understand at that point the necessity of the cross. And that's why Jesus has to rebuke him really quite strongly for his lack of understanding. Quite simply, our understanding of mission is that without the, the cross of Christ, we would not be doing mission. Our work is not to go and primarily do aid or development. Our work is primarily to go and present Christ to a lost and perishing world. 
as you'll see in the slides to follow, we, we do attempt to adopt a fairly holistic approach in addressing the needs of those who are, are suffering in one way or another. But at the heart of everything we do, we seek to raise high the cross of Jesus Christ, to make known that salvation which is found in him alone. We are mindful of those words that what does it benefit someone if they gain the whole world but yet lose their soul? And if we deny people the, the knowledge of the gospel, we are sinning against them in the most grievous way. So if you ask us what is the ethos of Mission Africa, it is to present the cross of Jesus Christ. Now what do we do? Well, I say our work falls under four headings. Um, the first, really needless to say then, is evangelism. We can't say on the one hand, yes, we present the cross of Christ if we then don't engage in evangelism. Now, within a country like Nigeria, uh, we don't need to do a lot of evangelism because the, the church there is very large and it is self-propagating. Although, as Charles indicated, uh, we are trying to evangelize the Fulani. But we have gone into other nations now to engage in, in, in evangelism, nations where the church is very small and weak and in need of assistance. So uh, one such country is Burkina Faso. I think most of you will have heard of Burkina Faso. If you haven't, it used to be called Upper Volta. Before that, it was part of the French Equatorial Empire. And throughout its history, it has always been very, very poor. Uh, for many years, it was the poorest country in the world. It's not so now. It's still in, the, in the, the bottom ten poorest countries in the world. And also, it is relatively spiritually poor. There are many parts of the country where Christianity has yet to be proclaimed. About ten years ago, we sent some missionaries to work with WEC uh, down in the uh, southwest. You can, you can see where the, the country kind of has an L-shaped uh, curve in it there. Um, that's where we're working, on the Black Volta River. And uh, God has really brought in the increase there. We don't say that this is our work, not by any means. This is God's work. God is sovereign in mission. Burkina Faso is small by African standards. Only 12 million people compared to the 140 million people of Nigeria, for example. And we work with one people group called the Daggery. Just 150,000 people. Ten years ago, there were two Daggery Christians. There were no churches. And God in his sovereign power has moved amongst those people. There are now 12 churches. By the end of the year, I imagine there will be 14 or 15. There was no Bible in the Daggery tongue ten years ago. Today, through the work of Bible translators, with whom we're in partnership, the Bible is now, or parts of the Bible are now available. So great steps have been made there. And this is one of our missionary families there. Uh, I commissioned another missionary to go out just last week. These are the Nashes. Uh, they're from London. We don't just get our missionaries from Ireland by any means. We get our folk from right across the UK and the Republic and also sometimes the continent and North America. So do please pray for folk like the Nashes who are engaged in coalface evangelism. Now these folks are really, they're, they're powerhouses. They, ne they never stop. 
uh, going about doing theological education by extension, showing educational films there, evangelism there, literacy here. The work is enormous, but God is good, and he gives them the strength that they need and has blessed them in many, many ways. Now, where the, the church is already strong, that doesn't mean that we ignore it by no means. And really, there are two things that we do to strengthen the church where it's already well established. One way is through theological education. Now, we've already uh, seen something of the work of uh, the John Sequa Theological Seminary today. And let me uh, just emphasize that the Beatties are very highly respected and valued members of staff there. But it's not the only place where we're active. Uh, down in the south of Nigeria, we, we uh, work particularly with uh, William Wheatley and the Peter Achimugu College of Theology. And then in Jos, we're also on very good terms with the Theological College of Northern Nigeria. Now, you may wonder, why do we put so much effort into theological colleges? Sometimes people say to me, well, that's not real missionary work. Well, let me tell you, it is. And in many ways, of all the things that we do, it is one of the most strategic. The African church is growing at an exponential rate. In many parts of Africa, the, the Christian church is growing at up to 15% per year. Now, that is just vast, and it has outstripped the ability of the, the churches to keep pace in terms of providing pastors. There are no reliable figures available, but it is estimated that 70% of African churches have no trained leader. Uh, in reality, I think the, the figure would be much higher. And where there is no trained leadership, all kinds of problems can result. There can be false teaching. Uh, it can creep in all too easily. Charles today made reference to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is enormously influential in Africa and Asia today. And this often comes in where there is no trained leadership to, uh, to point out that this is a heretical point of view. But also, where there, where there are no leaders, no pastors, the, the people of God are not exposed to preaching, systematic preaching, week after week. Their experience of church can be very, very patchy. I, uh, before I joined Mission Africa, I trained pastors in East Africa. And I, I remember on one occasion, one of my young students left the college, and his first charge was a 35-congregation parish. He had no car. He had to go about on a bicycle and go around as many of these 35 congregations as he possibly could. In reality, they saw him, maybe, each congregation maybe saw him twice a year. So there was no opportunity there for him to really get to know his people and to pastor them. There was no opportunity to engage in systematic preaching. And that's why we put so much effort into the training of first-class leaders for the African churches. So if you ever are tempted to imagine that theological education is not important, really think again. It is exceptionally strategic. Now the other thing that quite often is lacking in our African context are resources for pastors and students. 
So every time I come to a, a church in Northern Ireland, I just sort of look around me for, for two moments and we see a plethora of resources. Nearly everybody has their own Bible. There's all kinds of equipment, maybe a little library at the back, whatever. Many of our African brothers and sisters, whether it's Nigeria or Burkina Faso or wherever, lack the, the basics. The pastors do not have commentaries. They don't have concordances to help them prepare their sermons. People who are studying for the ministry aren't able to get hold of the key textbooks that they require to study. And that's why we, in conjunction with some others, set up African Christian textbooks or acts. You've maybe heard of, of, of acts. Maybe you've heard of Sid Garland, who's here over on the, the right in that beautifully understated shirt. You, know, you, you noticed uh, Charles's beautiful green shirt. We, we make our missionaries wear funny clothes to keep them humble. But Acts is a, really it was a wonderful ministry. And it's now become the largest distributor of academic textbooks in West Africa. It's now moved into East Africa as well. And even just this week, Sid is going to Ethiopia to begin Acts in Ethiopia. And I think our long-term hope for Acts would be that it would uh, center itself in certain strategic African nations, such as Nigeria and Kenya, and then influence uh, the, the countries surrounding and our desire then is to get the very best of evangelical textbooks into the hands of God's church. For many years, our mission was known for its medical work. And uh, excuse that lack of a capital letter there. In the original font it worked. but <laughs> Medical mission really, of course, has been a, a big issue with us. Uh, some of you may have heard of Dr. Bill Holly who's one of our medical missionaries during the, the 40s through to the 60s. And in those days, of course, leprosy was one of the, the biggest scourges uh, in Nigeria. Now, through medical advances, leprosy, although it remains quite a threat, has been brought under control to a very considerable degree. But in its place, HIV has become the great scourge. Now, I'm not going to read out all these facts and figures. You can gaze at them there over my shoulder. But suffice to say that there really is no greater threat, medical threat, facing Africa today than HIV. We should not underestimate the danger that HIV poses to nations and societies in Africa. HIV has the capacity to kill so many people in Africa that nations can be destabilized. Farther down south in Africa, in places like Malawi and Zambia, almost 40% of people are infected. That means those 40% of people will die. And many of those people are holding key positions in society. And when that number of key people die within a nation, that nation will become destabilized. And we don't want that happening in Nigeria. So we're making every effort to help stem the tide of the disease. A number of our personnel are, are working in HIV ministries. We work with Equa, for example, through uh, Jean Garland, Sid's wife, and they work particularly with children. But then farther south in, uh, in Nigeria, we're working with the United Evangelical Church in what we call the Still Waters Project. 
Now, on the way out, I will be giving you a little quiz to see if you can remember what still waters means. So I'll just tell you now, you must not forget, it means serving the infected lifelong, warning all the rest to eradicate risks. Did you get that? So much easier just to stay still waters. But that's our big HIV project, and that's making great advances in the south of Nigeria. And the lady you see pictured there is Linda Abwa. She comes from Donegore near Antrim. And uh, she was murdered before she got married to Mr. Abwa. And if you can't remember Abwa, uh, her husband's name is Billy. So if you can't remember Billy, you really are in a bad way. And Billy and Linda go around educating uh, youth and women and men. They do it separately because often it is taboo to speak about some of the things that they're speaking in mixed company. So they have these various strings to, to uh, still waters. And in many ways we have asked them to take on a project which from a human point of view is almost impossible, which is to set up about 1,500 HIV care and counselling groups right across the south of Nigeria. Now, maybe from a human point of view that's impossible, but not for God. For with God all things are possible, and we look to him to really strengthen this project. But do please pray for our HIV counselling work. In case you're wondering what we actually do in our HIV work, just very briefly, first of all, we provide diagnosis. Very often people are too poor to go to a doctor to find out whether or not they have HIV. Once they're diagnosed, and if they're positive, then the opportunistic infections which tend to afflict people with HIV are dealt with as best as possible. And then last, and most importantly, we're able to give people these drugs which are antiretrovirals. I was greatly dismayed the other day to see uh, a survey here in the UK that said one quarter of people think that there is a cure for HIV. Now, if you're one such today, I have to disabuse you. There is no cure for HIV. You can't make it go away, but you can suppress it. You can suppress it for a number of years so that people can have a good quality of life for a number of years. And these antiretroviral drugs suppress this virus. But it's not a cure, and eventually people will succumb to the disease. But it's such a wonderful thing, though, to be able to give people quite a number of years of good quality life. It gives, for example, a young mother the opportunity to raise her children to the point where those children are self-sufficient. And also, it's a wonderful way of witnessing to the love of Jesus Christ. Many people in the north of Nigeria with HIV are Muslims. And within their own societies, whenever they get HIV, they are rejected and ostracized. And they come down to the Christian hospitals, and there they receive love and compassion. And through that, that very powerful witness of love, many of them then have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And quite often I, I get stopped at church doors, and I've been prodded in the chest a couple of times, people say, why do you deal with people like that? Those people are immoral. Yeah, some people who have HIV are immoral. But not all. 
Jean Garland, for example, quite often speaks to me about the children that she works with, children who have been born with HIV. They did nothing immoral. And those who object to us working with the immoral, well, I often think, have they even had a cursory glance at their New Testament? The Lord Jesus Christ came to minister to all types and conditions of people, including the immoral. So we we have a very strong scriptural warrant, I believe, to minister to all types and conditions of people suffering from HIV. Last and by no means least, uh, we have our compassionate ministries, uh, both to to boys and uh, to girls. And uh, that's a very rare picture that you see there because I have no tie on. Not many people have seen me without a tie. One of the... One of the things that is a kind of a side effect of HIV, but not only caused by HIV, is the the very large number of orphans and destitute young people. And every night on the streets of Africa, right across the continent, tens of thousands of young people are really out in the streets living rough. We got involved in a consortium uh, called City Ministries, which is mostly uh, SIM, or SIM, and uh, and EQUA, and a number of centres have now been set up to to bring as many as possible of these young people in off the streets. They're not compelled to come in, don't don't get me wrong, and they're not compelled to stay if they come in, but most of them do. And there in these centres, they are given the necessities of life, very often for the first time, Uh, Since they've been living rough on the streets, they're receiving food and medicine and education. And, of course, they receive the love and compassion of Christ. And the gospel is shared with them. I've been going around to East Africa and, more recently, West Africa now for 21 years. And I think this is probably one of the most beautiful things that I have seen, to see these young people being taken off the streets and turning from maybe from lives of crime and vice and becoming not only productive citizens of the Republic of Nigeria, but becoming productive citizens of the kingdom of God. So do please pray for that compassionate work because the the needs are huge. Now, I want to draw to a close, because I was, I was told that you would riot at 10 to 12. What should your response be to what you have seen today? What should your response be to seeing the, the beaties being sent forth once again? Well, I'm not here just to beat the drum for Mission Africa by any means. Uh, Mission Africa belongs to Mission Agencies Partnership. And we have committed ourselves institutionally to promoting mission in general. So I'm not here just to say you need to join Mission Africa, not by any means. I am here, though, to say that everybody, every Christian, should be actively involved in mission. Whenever we read the Great Commission, there is no small print that says, and the following categories of Christian are exempt None of us are off the hook in regard to the Great Commission. All of us have to respond in one way or another. 
Now, it would be simply untrue to say that everybody is called to go overseas. I've heard speakers say that, and I think that's really quite inappropriate. It is not true. We are not all called to go overseas, but all of us are called to be engaged in mission. And those of us who are not called to go overseas are called then to support mission through prayer and through giving. But some of us are called to go overseas. But many people, unfortunately, are not open to hearing the voice of God in their lives. Quite often when I speak about this, people come and they give me any number of excuses. They say, oh, I'm I'm too young or I'm too old or I don't have the proper skills. And, you know, going to Africa, you know, that's quite dangerous. And I would have to give up a very good career here. And we've got the family and, oh, it just, just wouldn't do. Well, certainly, yes, before anybody wants to follow God into mission, yes, you need to to think about these things carefully. You need to count the cost. But what I want to say today is that we in the Western Church have become infected with a great besetting sin. And that is that we have absorbed one of the, the values that is in the world all around us. And that is that we as Christians have become risk adverse. We have become adverse to taking risks for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to draw your attention then as we close to that last little section of Matthew 16. Where Christ says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. The Lord Jesus Christ commands us to a life of risk-taking for him. We are not called to a life of sloth. We are not called to a life of ease. You see, whenever we fall into that trap, we are no different to those people who have fallen for the prosperity gospel and just want a life of cheap grace and an easy life. In many ways, we have fallen into that trap in the West as well. Christ calls us to radical discipleship and being ready to give up everything for him. So today, my challenge to you is this. I can't look into anybody's heart. I do know that all of you are called to support mission and prayer and giving. But for some, you may be called to leave family and friends and to go overseas. And if that is the case, then I pray that God will give you the grace to recognize your call and to follow in obedience. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks this day for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you as we have gathered at his table. We thank you for his death and resurrection. We thank you for the saving good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we we thank you, Lord God, for the privilege it is 
to have been entrusted with going into the world to proclaim the good news of the cross. Lord God, we ask that you would help us, through the power of your Spirit, all to be obedient to your call into mission. Lord God, for those of us who are called to stay, make us better supporters financially, better supporters in prayer. But Lord God, we pray that you would be moving in the hearts of those you are calling into service overseas. And pray, Lord God, that you would make your will known very clearly for them. And Father, I give you thanks for this body of believers here at Windsor Baptist Church. We thank you, Lord God, for the exemplary way in which they support mission and they support their individual missionaries. We ask, Lord God, that your blessing would just rain down upon these, your people. Strengthen them in every conceivable way. Be pleased to continue to use this church as a beacon for the gospel. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.